Well, it's always a pleasure and a privilege to, uh, to welcome everyone that's making their connection with Christ's journey, and today's no exception to that, whether you're joining us at Kendall Campus or Gables Campus or across the nation, around the world. We come at the invitation of our high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities and says we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. So we are praying help for our time of need for everyone who would engage the Jesus conversation. Last week, we saw Jesus' love in action where racism and uh, prejudice could have been barriers. This week, we engage four more conversations where, se- where the shame, scandal, and damage of sexual trauma has been unleashed. Um, this is not a topic unfamiliar to us, is it? We probably all have some kind of backstory on this one, but it is a tough topic, so I want to prepare you in advance. What I'm about to say may be a shock. We don't normally travel at this depth level, and uh, and yet it is a subject that must have our attention. Every day, headlines scream some new scandal of abuse or harassment or assault, um, whether it's from a clergy, a coach, a colleague, a classmate. Uh, I don't have to list them for you to know what we're talking about, but they are horrible and they are heartbreaking. In fact, statistics tell us right now that every 98 seconds in the United States, someone is being sexually assaulted. Could be a girl, could be a boy, could be a woman, could be a man. Statistical reports tell us that in the past 20 years, 17,700,000 women have been raped. This is horrific. This is an atrocity. One in four women have experienced some type of sexual violence. One in six men, every six men, some kind of sexual violence. Someone said if we were to make, if we were to uh, build a memorial to the children in the United States who have been sexually abused, it would have to be 1,300 times larger than the Vietnam vet. A memorial with its 50,000 names. And as your pastor, I know that the statistics have stories. And those stories, um, those stories are about people we love, and maybe some of the stories are yours. I also know as a pastor, I can tell you in a crowd like ours that there are many stories that are listening right now as well. And so here's what I want you to know. You matter. You matter to God, you matter to me, you matter to your church. Your pastor is here for you, your church is here for you. We want, we love you, and nothing is too hard for God. This is our bottom line. God loves you and nothing is too hard for God. Now, last Thanksgiving, I got an unsolicited card of gratitude. Here's what, it was from a, from a young woman who has been through this trauma and, um, and now is has been cared for here and on the other side as an overcomer. Here's what she said. Dear Pastor Bill, I want to express my sincere gratitude and gratefulness for everything Christ's journey has done for me during the most painful and difficult transition of my life. The results of the church's kindness are amazing and a testimony of what Jesus can do in a miraculous way. Thank you for believing me. Thank you for supporting me, giving me hope to start anew in Christ the creator of new beginnings. I am grateful beyond words. Well, so are we, sister. So are we. 
So what does the Bible say about people who are abused? In a word, care. It says care. Care about them. It says care for them. It says care. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, message paraphrase reads like this. Look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them had happened to you. Jesus wants his people to identify with the abuse. So if you have known the victim's pain personally, then you know it matters personally. And it matters culturally. It matters personally, it matters culturally. Today, right now, pain that has been hidden in secret shame for years is coming to light and it matters. And it matters to our future. The Bible repeatedly says, as we get closer to the end of the age and Christ's second coming, things are going to get worse, not better. And Paul, in writing to one of the pastors in the first century, Timothy, he says, he, he offers uh, a list of sins that will intensify in the last days. There are 19 sins on that list, and over half of them present with sexual symptoms. Four in particular are uh, specifically dealing with sexual abuse. Here's a, here's a partial list from that letter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the message version once again. Times will be difficult in the last days. People will be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, arrogant. Any of those sound familiar? And then look at these four. Abusive, lacking self-control, brutal, and addicted to lust. Now, there is no way to cover the complexities of such a complicated topic as this in a 30-minute talk. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to enter into some of the conversations Jesus had with victims in his day and then see how it plays to healing in ours. What conversations? Well, there was one. We opened it last week with a woman at a well at high noon. Jesus is tired and thirsty. It's the hottest part of the day. And he strikes up a conversation with a Samaritan woman. He says, will you give me a drink? John chapter four, verse seven. By the way, I hope you'll read these stories and, and uh, make yourself aware of their content at greater depth a little bit later in the day, perhaps. But he says, will you give me a drink? Later in the conversation, she reluctantly admits a history of sexual shame. She's, um, for whatever reason, she can't keep a man. And she's been to bed with at least six that we're told of. Now, in first century culture, women did not have the right or authority to divorce, but a man could divorce. And maybe that was what had happened in this woman's story. She's been married five times, she's been divorced five times, and now she's living with the guy that she's currently with, um, but single again, used and thrown away, used and thrown away. Maybe she was a woman of exceptional beauty, we're not told. But for some reason, men keep wanting this woman and then not wanting her, and this is her story for some reason. We're not told why, but I'm just wondering, how does that feel? What kind of reputation did it give her in town? Towns weren't that big in that day, not the one she came from. Was she now afraid of marriage because of what she had seen happen there before? And then what, uh, what are other women saying about her? 
and they rejected her too. Is that why she's alone in the hottest part of the day gathering water instead of there in the early morning or the evening in the cooler parts when all of the other women come together? Had they also isolated her or had she isolated herself because of the sexual shame she was bearing in her life? And then Jesus enters the story. Second scenario, John chapter eight. The Pharisees bring a woman caught in the act of adultery. Now that took some doing, didn't it? Caught her in the act, and then they make her stand on public display in the temple courts, interrupting Jesus' teaching, and uh, ready to stone her according to the law of Moses. I mean, they're locked and loaded. They've got the rocks, and they're ready to unload them. And Jesus puts himself between her and her would-be executioners and literally saves her with these words, let the one without sin throw the first stone. Now, <laughs> he's calling out the double standard for sure. Okay? But he's also saying, is there anybody who doesn't need forgiveness anywhere? And, um, and the law prescribes that both adulterers be stoned. If they're so hyped up about keeping the law, then where's the guy? If, if this caught in the act, you know, he's not saying it, but, but there's like, okay, what's going on? I'm wondering if, his, if, his, if, if, if the man were a, were a face in the crowd that day, that his Pharisee daddy had gotten so tired of his son not paying attention to him and this woman that he keeps hanging out with or that he had just discovered him with and uh, decided that he would uh, gather up some of his cronies, catch him, and uh, yank him off and bring her out to face the blame. Is that what happened? I mean, we're not told. Or was he just forcing himself upon this woman at the time and daddy says, you know what? It's not no use ruining your life for 20 minutes of action as our culture has been heard saying. But Jesus, once the threat is gone, he turns to the woman and says, has no one condemned you? And she says, no one. And he says, well, neither do I. Now go and leave your life of sin. I don't hear those as words of scolding. I hear them as words of empowerment. He's saying, you know what? Your tomorrows don't have to look like your yesterdays. There's a whole new future waiting for you, but you've got a say in it. You've got choices in it. Third scenario, Luke chapter seven, a woman interrupts Jesus. He's in a Pharisee's house one more time. And this woman comes in and she's known as a quote sinner, close quote, because she's had sex for sale. She's been in the trade. She's been in the industry. She's, and God only knows what started the desperate cycle of pain in her life. We're not told once again, you know, was she abused as a little girl? Was she raped as a teenager? You know, we're not told. How did she wind up in the quote business, close quote? Because I'm thinking little girls probably don't imagine growing up to do what she's doing. But now she's broken. And she's, weeping on his feet and she's washing them with her tears and she's wiping them with her hair. And you know, that means she's, she is so desperate. She doesn't care what other people think. And it's scandalous. And the Pharisee who's hosting the dinner for Jesus, he's, he's offended. He immediately judges Jesus guilty by association. If he were, if he were really holy, then he wouldn't let her touch him like that. I mean, he's totally objectifying and condemning the woman. 
and then Jesus by association until Jesus engages a larger conversation, which he does. He asks Simon a question. Do you see this woman? And the answer, of course, was no. He sees a thing. He sees a sex object, a soil-damaged thing to be avoided until Jesus engages the conversation and unleashes the power of mercy and forgiveness multiple times. You look up that story and see how many times Jesus uses the word forgiven, 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 the power of forgiveness moving in to this conversation. And then in Luke chapter 8, this is the fourth scenario, Jesus enters an area intentionally, does it on purpose, known for being morally unclean. And a man approaches him. Verse 27 says, for a long time he had not worn clothes. That had to be some kind of encounter. I mean, the guy is naked and uh, that's not his only issue. How did he get that way? I mean, you usually don't grow up saying, oh, my goal in life is to be an exhibitionist. And yet that's, that a dark force now dominates him and he can't get free of it. It's got him homeless. He's living beyond, he's living in a graveyard. He's, um, he has, he's lost a sense of decency, of modesty, of self-respect. There's no peace of mind. Maybe it started with something small. Usually does, doesn't it? I mean, maybe it was something that he just uh, told himself was just, it's just harmless fun. Maybe he had some friends that are already doing it. And though to his better judgment, it didn't quite feel right, he just did it anyway. Never imagining that it would grow into the monster that is now controlling him. Now, we're not told if that's what happened, but here's what I know as a pastor. That's how drug addiction happens. It starts small and then takes over. That's how pornography addiction happens. That's how sexual addiction happens. So he didn't start this way, but, but now he can't get out. It starts small, and then he finds out that he can't control it. He's, he's beyond self-control until Jesus enters the conversation. Now, there's the four scenarios, and each story involves some kind of uh, sexual victimization. And each time Jesus enters a conversation that is full of pain and full of shame and engages the conversation in such a way that he creates a safe place that becomes a saving place. And that's the one thing we should remember about a Jesus conversation with sexual trauma and shame. Jesus is a safe place that becomes a saving place for victims. Sexual misconduct and trauma have defined our time. What is sexual harassment? What is sexual abuse? You ever wonder? Well, here's a working definition. Any unwelcome sexual advance, verbal, visual, or physical, any unwelcome sexual advance, verbal, vis visual, or physical. And stories are everywhere. So in an effort to extend the safety zone within the life of our church, I asked Angie Lopez if she would convene with me a gathering of ladies from within our church who would volunteer if they wanted to come and share some information about their experience. So I want you to welcome Angie with me to the platform as she comes to share. 
And basically what we did is I, we, we invited them, whoever would, to come to a room. And, um, and then I said this, what are you seeing? What are you feeling? What would you like me to hear? And what do you need your pastor to say? And then I didn't say anything. I just listened. And uh, Angie was present and listening as well. And now has something to share. First, I, I want to say thank you. Is that me? Check, check. There we go. All right. Um, first, I just wanted to thank Pastor Bill for opening this conversation. Um, this isn't only about women, but a lot of times it affects women. And um, that can make it hard for a woman to want to talk to a man. And so that must make your job difficult as pastor sometimes. But uh, rather than avoiding this conversation, you entered it. You had it with discretion and uh, with much grace. And I hope that everybody has the opportunity to be led by a pastor like you. You've been a safe place for me, and now he's made a safe place for, for us today. So thank you for opening this conversation. Yeah. Um, he did open our time very cautiously, just like he said, and wanted to hear our perspective um, from our experience as women in culture and with our families. And so what that did was it, it gave us the opportunity to share only what we wanted to share about those experiences. And so we talked about ourselves, uh, we talked about our kids, and, and even represented what we feel for our grandkids. So um, I believe we shared a, a moment of, of grief, of honesty, sincerity, some truth-telling, um, but also freedom and healing happened in that room that day. But as I sat down to put down on paper uh, for us, so I could articulate it well for us today, as I sat down to write this, I just wept throughout the whole process. You know, as I was writing every now and then, a big wave of emotion would come over me. Like, I can't believe this has happened to so many of our friends. Um, and while I don't personally speak to you as a victim, I believe that every one of us is affected by this issue. Every woman and every man at some point in their life um, experiences the abuse or the misuse of sexuality. And the women that we met with that day, they confirmed it. Some of us, 100%, have been victimized. We've been abused uh, with violence, aggression, and injury. Others of us, at the very least, have been mistreated, perhaps looked, to just, looked at just a little bit inappropriately in a way that doesn't honor us as women. Others of us, um, have willfully stepped into some situations that we knew we probably shouldn't, but we did it anyway. And some of us are the kids of un unfaithful parents. What are we to do when the people that are supposed to love us, protect our family at all costs, um, decide that they're going to deny that commitment to pursue um, an addiction or, or an impulse, a temptation with an actual person or images on a screen, right? I know what it is to be 15 and feel betrayed by some of my dad's choices. Um, and that made it very hard for me to trust a man and probably much harder to fall in love with one. And if I'm honest, I live with this little voice in the back of my mind that says, it's gonna happen to you too. And that has nothing to do with my husband. It was my dad that taught me that a man who chooses to love you could change his mind. So however sexuality um, is expressed around us provides a very personal context for what we expect it to be for us. Just think about your own story. 
your perspective on this topic today, your comfort or discomfort with it, all of that has been formed by a series of experiences you've had that just layer on top of each other, one after one, your whole life. And these make up what we think about our value and our significance. And for a woman, her beauty. And that sum is, is just her very identity. And this is what we heard from this group of women, of women. We heard things like this. All I did was sit at my desk every day and try to do my job. What did I do wrong? I literally sat tucked under a desk and was still harassed at work. I lived in fear, fear that I'm gonna get in trouble if I tell and fear that it's gonna happen again. A retired woman said she wondered how many from her generation um, had stories, but they'd, they'd never have the courage to tell. A millennial talked about the automatic wall she puts up with any man she meets because a man she should have been able to trust became her abuser. The word terrified was used to describe what it feels like to raise kids today and try to protect them. One of the ladies said she thought it was her fault, especially after it happened a second time. First, it happened to her as a child and then later on as a young adult. So it would take years for her to understand that she didn't cause it, that it was the acceptable sexual culture that led to her abuse and not something she unintentionally asked for. Another woman shared how she got pregnant before she was married. And when the boyfriend's mom found out, she said to her in Spanish, el hombre propone y la mujer dispone, which basically means the guy may hint at something, but it's the woman who makes it happen. Blame. Then another woman, not the victim of abuse, shared how before she met Jesus, she found herself pregnant as well and decided to terminate the pregnancy to hide her shame. See what I mean? All this pain, shame, fear, and guilt, this is what happens when sex and our sexuality is abused or misused. And whether we're conscious of it or not, we get messed up. And when we get messed up, we take that mess with us into every other relationship and we filter everything through that pain and through that guilt, unless you let Jesus have a conversation with you and you hear him tell you that you were not designed for shame and fear. You just weren't. That was never God's plan. Those are not the jewelry pieces given to you as a beloved daughter of the Most High. So if you are carrying a sexual shame, a pain and some guilt, know this, it did not come from heaven. And though it may take some intentional hard work, there's a way to get free. And that's what these women said. We did re-enter some deep wounds that day, but we also heard from survivors that our stories don't have to end at the wound. And one of these women said something that um, I know is true on paper, like in, in the pages of the Bible paper. But when she said it, it was so real and so true and so powerful, powerful. Um, she was sexually violated, not once, not twice, but three times over the course of her life. So she naturally assumed herself to be damaged goods and now totally unlovable, at least for a good, decent man. But these are her words. Jesus became real to me and loved me, damaged as I was, 
and I in turn fell in love with him, received his forgiveness for any of my own sin, and I put my faith in him as the saving Christ, trusting him for my future. She let Jesus have a conversation with her that loved her into the realization that there was in fact a man who would never take advantage of her, ever, would always honor her. And that man was himself, was Jesus. And now she's all cleaned up, confident, made new by God, her father. But here's what she said that took my breath away. She said, I'm forgiven, yes, but they're forgiven too, my abusers. What kind of freedom must she be experiencing? What kind of security in her value as a beloved daughter of the most high God to free her abuser with forgiveness? I don't have any explanation for that, except to know that she had a real conversation with Jesus. And then she extended the same grace he gave to her. Now, P.S., God did send her a good, decent man to be her husband. And something that was interesting that came up in the conversation with these women is that it was very significant. It seemed to them to be very significant, uh, if not critical to the process of healing, that we would share some of our past with our husbands. So men, we need your help with this. There's something significant in a woman being brave enough to trust you. And there's something in us that finds it necessary to tell you some uncomfortable things if we're thinking about trusting you forever. We need you to be able to handle that, which means you may have some work of your own that you may need to do because it's not only women that bring a sexual past into a marriage, a past that then affects how they behave as a spouse or a parent. It's okay for you to get help too. But since I'm here representing the women, here's our request. Receive our vulnerability as a gift and not something to be trampled on or ignored. It's hurtful and it's unkind when a man minimizes or downplays our experience. And it's just unrealistic to expect us to process life the way you do. Though we wish we could sometimes. I wish that I could go through life a little bit more like my husband and just think my way to a solution and move on because that's what makes sense. But I don't. And so I let him teach me that because there, there are times when we need to move on. But he lets me teach him that every conversation can't be had in five minutes. And sometimes our conversations aren't going to end in quick solutions. Like these issues we're talking about today the ones that our women talked about that day when we met with them, they don't have quick solutions. They're in us and they're around us. So when we think about committing to a man in marriage, the whole of our life experience sexually comes with us. So it matters deeply, men, that you know enough about where we've been and still choose us, still choose to commit to loving us. It says a lot about your character when you do that. And the cat's kind of out of out of the bag that there is a man who will do that for us. But every little girl dreams that Jesus won't be the only one. 
So blessed is the woman who rests and flies free in the knowledge that there is a man who loves her like Jesus does. Amen? Amen. Maybe we should just all inhale, exhale, and, uh, and say, wow. I want to thank you, Angie, for giving voice to the, to the courage of the ladies who shared stories with us. Yes, let's thank the ladies. That was and, very uh, courageous. And then I want to say, these are not stories. These are our sisters. Yeah. So thank you, Angie. Yep. God bless you. I said in the, the earlier experience today that my throat, my mouth was just like cotton ball dry and it happened again. And so um, I really hate this. Um, as a man, as a dad of two daughters, I hear what our sisters say and I just want to smash some abuser's face against the glass wall, watch their teeth break and their gums bleed, you know, and let it run down the glass. And I'm not a violent man but there's rage in me about this, that, that this happens. <laughs> and yet then suddenly I'm conflicted. Now, maybe you've had some feelings like that too, but suddenly I'm conflicted in this because I've got soiled places in me too where the toxic scars of the good gift of God's, God's good gift of human sexuality in my life got hijacked at 15 by pornography. And that's, that's a part of my journey. So what do you do when you don't want to be where you were and you're seeking to go where God wants you? And then as a pastor, I can tell you this, sometimes abusers are simply acting out the victimization that they suffered under another abuser. So where does that kind of victim go? For help, for healing. One male victim of abuse told me, he said, you know, I was praying one day and my freedom began. That's what he said. My freedom began when I saw myself nailing my shame and my fear and my anger to the cross. And in that vision, I saw my abuser on the other side nailing his to the same cross. So women are not alone in this this sense of abuse, but men, we need, to, we need to hear our sisters today. These ladies are precious. In fact, every, every lady is someone's daughter. Every lady is someone's potential sister, someone's potential mother, someone's potential wife. Every lady matters infinitely to God. Every male victim of abuse matters infinitely to God. And so the question is, where does a victim Who is there for the victim when the unthinkable happens? I think the gospel writers wanted us to know. Jesus wanted us to know. Jesus is. Jesus is. But Jesus wants his people to figure out how to enter that conversation too and be there. How? Four principal applications from the stories I told you a moment ago. And here they are. You want to engage the conversation with sexual trauma and shame the way Jesus does? Here's how I think we go about it. First, you lead in love. You lead with love. Secondly, you let shame meet grace 
unconditional favor from God. And then you share truth that frees. You don't share truth that blinds. You share enough truth to help freedom come, the truth that frees, and then you offer hope that helps. You're there again. Let, lead with love. Let shame meet grace. Share truth that frees. Offer hope that helps. Now, maybe it hasn't happened to you. I mean, you're sitting here thinking that, right? It hasn't happened to me. But somebody you know and care about you know, uh, they're facing it. What do you do? Well, the first thing you can do is this. If you see something, you say something. You try to get them out of harm's way. Jesus put himself in between those rocks <laughs> in that hard place. And his followers learn how to do the same thing. You don't say this. I mean, you, you try to get them out of harm's way. You try to figure a way to engage the, the uh, situation so that you can get help in trouble. One victim told me this. You don't say, I understand, because you don't. You don't understand. So don't say that. It's offensive. It's a lie. You don't start quoting Bible verses as if this is just an easy fix, you know? Time to move on. No. You know what you don't say? Well, you know you need to forgive them. Where did Jesus say that with any of these four victims? He doesn't say it. Now, there's a time for that, but I'm telling you, that's offensive, isn't it? When you're in it. To lead with love means this. You be there for them. You hug them. You affirm their worth. You seek to be a safe place. You don't fix. You don't judge. You don't say, well, you know, if you, I think you should. No, you don't advise. You just, they're like Jesus. Jesus is amazing in his economy of words in these four encounters. Read them for yourself and see how much he says by doing rather than by talking lead with love, and then be there like a shield where shame meets grace. Now, the time for sharing truth that frees is going to come. But first, it's about being a safe place that can become a saving place, which means that we are full of love and full of grace where shame can meet grace. Maybe you're listening and you're remembering, wow, I hadn't thought about this in a long time, but it has happened to me. Now, I'm not trying to dredge up the past, but if you feel stuck and you're trying to figure out, how can I move on? Jesus wants your church to be a part of that. He would like his people to be a part of that. This church needs to be a church where love and hope and freedom can happen wherever sin has tried to soil and hurt you. But you set the pace. You set the pace. You decide how much and whom you want to share but we're here to help. How? How are we going to help? Well, through people. Through people. That's scary. No, safe people. Safe people. Safe people. Former victims, now survivors, on their way to being full overcomers. People who share the journey with discretion and confidentiality. That's what Jesus did. He doesn't bring them, put them on display. Public, that's what Pharisees do. No, Jesus handles it with, con with confidentiality, with discretion, and then he treats them with kindness and with tenderness in these stories. That's what we want to do. Tough on abuse, tender with victims. If you're a victim, here's, what, here's a victim. Here's what we know. It's not an easy fix. It's not a quick fix. But there is a process out. There is a way of next steps forward. One young woman told me this. They're sitting right across from each other as we had the conversation. She said, I'm not a victim. I was a victim, but I'm not one today. I, I'm not a damsel in distress. I'm a warrior princess like Merida in the movie Brave. 
and I'm fighting and I'm doing my work. And I can tell you, I know she is. If you've been a victim, and I said this to her as well, you know, let yourself be loved. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Let yourself be loved by safe people. What's a safe person? I've used that word a lot. Well, I asked Vicki Gray, our counselor in sexual trauma, devoted Christian woman, Wellspring counselor. She said, a safe person is someone who validates your feelings, who doesn't try to minimize or dismiss, someone who knows when to provide comfort and when to lovingly confront, someone who has proven themselves trustworthy and can be discreet with sensitive feelings and information. That's what a safe person is. A great book resource, she said, was Safe People by Drs. Cloud and Townsend, if you'd like to know more. But the recommendation is let yourself be loved. God loves you. God wants us to love one another. This is a house where love is spoken. So let yourself be loved and let yourself receive that identity that Christ has for you in his future, not your past. In fact, the letter that Paul, Pastor, that Apostle Paul wrote to Pastor Timothy about those 19 sins that are just going to get worse, it starts with, this, with a quote like this. It says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. How are we supposed to keep making our way forward until Christ comes again? It's right there. We're going to lead with love, and then we're going to bring in the Holy Spirit's power, and then we're going to use Christ's presence of mind to help us find our identity. If, you, um, if you're wondering what your next step might be today, it might be this, just talking with a trusted spiritual sister, the safest place you know. It might be talking with a pastor. It might be finding the Wellspring counselor that could be of assistance from experience and expertise. And there's so much more that could be said. But today, the last conversation that I want us to hear is from Jesus, and it happens on the cross. Now, we typically don't talk about this, and artists don't show it in their portrayals. But, you know, Jesus wasn't just beaten and nailed there. He was stripped and naked. This was the Roman way of crucifixion. Victims would be stripped naked and then hung out on public display as an act of ultimate humiliation and dehumanization. And there, from that cross of public naked shame, Jesus keeps the conversation going. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Mother, behold your son. And it goes on, right? And from that cross, God in the flesh, Jesus now made real for us is like saying, hashtag me too. I know what it's like to be victimized sexually. I know what it's like to experience violence and the dehumanization of sexual victimization. And I am here so that you can know I get you. I understand you. I am a safe place for you that can become a saving place for you. Behold your God. That's what the bread and wine of communion reminds us. That Jesus' wounds have made room for us. There's room for you at the cross. And that Jesus' wounds are big enough so that you can bring him your wounds and you don't have to let your wounds have you. Just let him have them. And let him show you how beauty can come from the ashes. How he has strength for today and hope for tomorrow and how healing can come out of the hurt. He knows where it is not your fault. He knows where you feel helpless and where you feel angry and where you feel tired and where you feel so like you're just 
fighting your way out, right? And what he wants to say is the medicine of God's love and grace, the antidote for the poison of abuse is found at the cross. And we can take it in and we can let it wash over us in the deep places and get to parts of us as no one else can. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you that where sin abounds, your grace can much more abound. That no stain is so deep and dark that you can't cleanse and forgive. That you bring healing and hope into the deepest hurts and a brand new beginning. Thank you for the overcomers that you are raising up in this church family. And thank you that by your blood and spirit, you are washing us whiter than snow and empowering us for a new future. We are so grateful for the way you love us and we want to love you right back. Now, maybe today you know that God is seeking you right now with our heads bowed. You can open your heart and your soul and welcome him. Here's a prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe you love me. You are my safe place. Become my saving place. You died on the cross for me, so I right now turn from my sin and the sins that have been committed against me, and I receive your forgiveness and ask you to come into my life to be my savior, my safe place. Have your way in my heart. Now with our heads bowed, if you just prayed to invite Christ to be your Savior and would let me ask God's blessing upon that next step in your decision, would you simply raise your hand, nobody looking but me, and raise your hand and hold it up for a moment. If you're joining us online, there's an orange banner you can click on right here to my left. God bless you toward the front. Thank you. To my right on the aisle, God bless you. Lord Jesus, I pray that your spirit would fill each one who has opened their life to you with the joy of your salvation and the peace that passes human understanding. I want to, just a moment longer with our heads bowed, maybe today you had a special need that came to light in this message. Emotions were stirred and something God is saying, would you let me have that? Would you, would you let me offer a prayer of blessing for the Holy Spirit to come upon you as your comforter and your guide toward that next step in your journey? If you would, then would you raise your hand? You can take them right down after you raise them. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, for every person who by uplifted hand has reached out for the miracle of your touch, we pray your blessing upon each brother and sister. And whatever you have prompted in them to reach out to you, we thank you. We pray that you would be close to the brokenhearted, that you would be, as you promised, their healer, their savior, their comforter, their counselor, their guide. And into the next steps of healing, we pray your blessing. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray, amen. I just have a couple of things to say before we come to the Lord's table. The first is this. Those of you who raised your hand saying, I'm opening my life to Jesus Christ to be my Savior today, we have a gift for you in our cafe. So as soon as we're done here, please go by there and say, I raised my hand to receive Christ and I want to receive my gift and receive it with our blessing. Secondly, if you raised your hand to say, I am seeking God's blessing today for some special need that has come up in my life, 
then if you would allow us to personalize that prayer with safe people who are sensitive to this issue, then I have personally invited just a few whom I know and trust to be available at the cross once we dismiss. Everybody else is going out all the other exit doors, but we're gonna save this space right over here by the cross for those who would say, you know, I, I, I would receive God's blessing upon my life today. Or maybe you have someone that has been pressed on your heart and you're praying for them, then let us pray with you for them. And then the third opportunity I wanna share is that maybe you're thinking, well, I couldn't do that today. There's no way it's gonna happen today, but maybe later. And so what we've done is prepare a little card that has two numbers on it. One of them is mine. The other is Vicki Gray, who is our trauma counselor with Wellspring. And uh, I know if you pick up the card, it's gonna say Aya on it because Aya knows where I am and how to reach me at any time. That's my assistant. And so you reach, you reach her, she'll reach me, then I'll reach out to you if you want that. Or if you'd like to uh, talk with our Wellspring counselor, then there's a way of, for that happening too. And these are available at every guest station, every host station around the, uh, the uh, worship center or down at the cross as well. And once again, I would encourage you, don't just pick one up for yourself. Maybe there's somebody else. Everybody's in this conversation, aren't we? Whether you want to be or not. And when it comes up, there's a way to lead with love. And we're the church that wants to do that. Amen? Now, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, let's hear the word from God. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white like snow. Like snow. And though they be red as crimson, they will be like wool.